0: Do you remember any of the promises you made when you were a kid? Did you keep them? Did you know either way they're impacting your life? Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Kathy Sohn. Kathy's husband worked his whole life developing the body memory process, an alternative to the traditional psychotherapy of lying on a couch and having someone listen to you talk. Instead, this tracks back to your childhood, and helps you decode why you do some of the things that you do now without so much of the guesswork, because who else will ever know your life better than you? In case you missed it last week, I'm inviting any listeners who really know or care a lot about something to come on the show. Just send me an email, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to me on any of the social pages. It can be anything at all. You might just be really good at driving tractor, or really into collecting action figures. Anything that you are interested in and would be willing to teach me about. Let's think way back to the beginning. Welcome to the show, Kathy Sohn.
1: Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Yes,
0: thank you so much for being on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself for the audience?
1: So my name is Kathy Sohn. I am a CEO of Body Memory Process. Um, so I retired from uh, 36 years with the federal government in, uh, in 2020. Uh, and so... Uh, this is, uh, this is really new. I uh, actually, it's not new. So I was working with my husband on, and I can get into that. And, in, uh, shortly, uh, I've worked on this work with my husband for, uh, over 25 years. Um, but it's new for me to be doing this full time now that I'm retired from the government.
0: Sure. And what a time to retire from the government. So. Oh,
1: yes. <laughs> yes. Um, 2020. Uh, so that was interesting. I was, uh, on my last assignment, um, uh, unfortunately, I lost my husband during that time, and uh, so that's one reason why I decided to retire when I did. Um, I was uh, living in uh, Hawaii, very expensive place to live, and uh, it was expensive enough to get childcare for um, for after work, but uh, or after school until I got home from work. But then when the pandemic hit, uh, the schools closed, and then you know what was I going to do uh, to be able to continue working and then have full time, uh, you know care for my children at home so uh yeah it, it got to the point where i was like well yeah i definitely need to retire and then selling a selling a home uh in hawaii is uh kind of daunting as it is but then the middle of the pandemic it was just one adventure after another <laughs> and then buying another one from afar happily we got to the other side of that
0: yes well i'm very sorry to hear about your husband but it sounds like you kind of I mean, you went through this whole process with him. It's not like he had kind of picked up this uh, this process and you were new to it in 2020. Like you were well immersed in it and then just decided to dive in with both feet.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, it's very important work, very powerful. And I didn't want it to just uh, slip away. Uh, so we, we had been working on... Um, making it sustainable and more widely available before he left, probably about the last couple of years that I still had him here. Um, But he was largely doing the, doing the work himself one-on-one, working with people after he would talk to groups.
0: Well, why don't we, you know, kind of get to understand this at whatever the, the lowest level we can is? So what is body memory process?
1: So I think that before I talk about the the process, it's important to understand the, the, I guess, problem, if you will, that it addresses.
0: Okay.
1: So when we are um, very, very young, all the way from like in the womb uh, until about seven years old, uh, we're in a brainwave state, primarily that's called Theta. Um, so this is a, uh, this is the time of, uh, imagination. So Bruce Lipton, if anyone is familiar with biology of belief, Bruce Lipton talks about this, he calls it a time of, um, hypnosis. If you, if you look at any of his videos, he says it's, it's like hypnosis. So we're in this stage of our life where we're learning about the world. Um, so and I would say it starts in the womb and it, and it starts with that uh, connection with mom um, and with, with dad, I mean, it's, they've done a lot of research about how, um, aware and really conscious that babies are in the womb, but I'd like to talk primarily about that. Those very, very early years, um, where we're really learning how to survive in the world and children, as you know, are very egocentric, right? So, but they have to be, um, because they're, you know, they're small and they, they want to get their needs met. Um, and so, a lot of what this is what we're going to talk about as uh, what I call childhood vows, uh, not what I call, but what David termed when he created this work called childhood vows um, is, you know, about uh, what the child decides in order to, um, to get love uh, in order to like survive in, in the world. Um, so, uh, so this goes on um, again for that first uh, seven years and and, uh, there's really two there's two things I'd like to address. One is childhood trauma, and the other is just you sort of like your everyday um, you know emotional experience that children have. Uh, children are very absolute if you hear the way they talk, oh well i'll 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 never you know you'll never play with me again, or you know I always you know. Um, You know, I always feel sad when, you know, I mean, because everything is, again, is in this this absolute time. Um, So during traumatic events, um, their children are especially prone to to creating these vows. And then during um, highly emotional events, they can also happen and they can actually be happy times. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Say I'm three years old. And uh, my dad is very busy all the time. And it's hard to get his attention. And um, sitting on his knee one day, and I'm loving it, right? I mean, he's paying all kinds of attention to me. And he says, you know, you're my good little girl. And somewhere, you know, in my, in my mind, you know, in my being, I'm like, "Yep, got it. I'm your, I'll always be always, I'll always be your good little girl. Now, this actually, we can talk in a minute about the mind body connection. This actually gets sort of encoded into into our body, and so so then again, I'm this three year old. This happens. I grow up, and now when I'm around uh, a powerful male, say my boss, I sort of become giggly and like a little girl. Um, that's just you know one example. And other people can see it, and I can't. Absolutely unaware of what's going on. So. The power of this work is that it illuminates this, these behavior patterns that we have, that we realize that we have as adults, that we have no click. Like, why, why is this happening. Uh, Dr. Michael Rice actually wrote a book entitled Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And he talks about this. Uh, he says, You know, we, we create these beliefs, then we spend, uh, then we believe it. So he says, When you were little, you were making believe, you made it up and you believe it, you know, and then you pretty much spend your whole life proving that it's true. You know, we've all heard about that, the self fulfilling prophecy, you know, um, you know, what you believe, you know, it's, is what you create. I mean, from back in times of scripture, uh, it's been about, about belief. Very, very powerful core underpinning um, of of this work is the power of belief. Then another very powerful underpinning is that mind-body connection. So there have been uh, people who have come along in the past, really since about say the eighties, who have been uh, bringing light to the fact that there is a very powerful mind-body connection. In fact, Dr. Candace Pert, who uh, was most known for discovering the opiate receptor. So back in the late seventies, she and a colleague, uh, we're doing research. They wanted to find out, you know, why um, pharmacology kind of works. Uh, you know, drugs work in the body. That there must be some something that's going on that makes them do what they expected to do. And uh, she found what's called the opiate receptor. You know, the like the the the, the neuropeptides um, in in the body that actually uh, natural neuropeptides like endorphin right? So there is sort of an opiate already in the body called endorphin. Um, And there, they found through further research into the 80s, that these receptors are all over the body, they're in the organs, they're in the muscles, they're in the blood, they are everywhere. And uh, if, uh, if you look up the work of Dr. Candace Peart, you'll see that she says the body is our subconscious mind, now there you, you will see references to the body being sort of like a, a messenger between the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. But if you think about it, uh, you know because the subconscious mind seems so inaccessible and the body is those, sort of like that messenger, you might as well think of it that way, you know, for the purposes of figuring out what's going on in your life, take a look what's going on uh, with your body. Um, and, and so when we, um, I'll talk about what, how the body memory process helps people to do this, but even if you were, if your listeners wanted to really take some pause and think about what's going in, uh, on in your life, uh, that's really like one of the first ways to start thinking about, gee, what could my childhood vows have been is what's going on in your life, right? So, because you created it. Most of it, when you were very young, um, it's really about how I am, how they are and how the world is. It doesn't, it's not much more than that. Um, That kind of covers everything, you know, if you think about it. Um, And so, you know, what's working well, what's not. Uh, So if things are working well in your life, great, you know, you've got some beliefs in there that are great. They're called, they're supporting you, the core beliefs that really support if there are things going on that you're not so happy with and that you'd like to change, well, now it's time uh, to take a good look at, okay, what's going on? Like, what are, what are the beliefs I might have that, you know, that I.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot to kind of take in there. I think people that especially have children tend to be very aware of the fact that people always say like, Oh, you know, the best time to learn a language is up to five. And the best time to start developing a schedule is, you know, up to first grade or whatever it is that they happen to say, there's always these very young guidelines for them. Yes. And so people that don't have children, you know, like me, myself, I always think like, oh man, the best time to learn a language is up until, you know, five or six or whatever it was. I'm like, man, I didn't learn a language other than English before then. So I, I must have you know, missed out on this huge learning experience or, you know, whatever it might be. It seems like there's a lot of that that just gets kind of packed into us and they're like, oh, it's really important. And then they don't go a lot further into it. They're just like, oh, it's really important. Make sure you're doing things. And then like, end of conversation. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah. And then that is exactly why you're, you, you know, that's right on the right on target. Um, and it doesn't mean that you can't learn. Obviously, there are adult learners um, and we can still learn. We're still creating beliefs. Um, so when we're when we're talking about these beliefs, they tend to be those very fundamental core beliefs. Uh, a lot of about a lot of it um, about our very identity. Right. So about who we are, especially those ones that are about, you know, I am. I am is a very powerful, um, to start a statement that way, it's very, very powerful. Um, that's the most creative statement it, you can, that you can use as something of I am. Um, and uh, it's just sort of, um, I wanna make a point here because it's sort of pleaded through my mind. Um, there can be childhood vows that you would think would be good vows to have, uh, such as I am always happy. And you're like, wow. Okay, great. <laughs> so, wouldn't it be great to be always be happy? But as humans, we're not always happy. Right? Things happen, right? We use, lo- we lose loved ones. Um, Where there's times that it, there are times in our lives that we need to mourn, um, that we need to just you know not be happy because that ends up making us maybe not so authentic. Uh, uh, and it, it can also really cause some health uh, issues because we're not processing the emotional content that's not. So I just want to make that point there in case I forget you know, further down the line when I'm talking about vows and how powerful they can be um, and the wording of the vows. Um, and again, so the, the, um, the materials that we have go into this um, in a lot a lot of depth. There's a lot of nuances between the, the words um, and when uh, David would work with clients, and uh, he'd spend um, time with them really trying to get to that original wording because uh, it can make a difference um, in, in terms of, mostly in terms of how it shows up in your life. Uh, and so then you want to get as close to that wording as you can when you're doing the homework uh, to, to, to change those beliefs to what the adult wants.
0: not the pre-logical child right yeah and you're saying you know we talk in absolutes when we're kids and it's like you know putting the foundation under a house like Mm -hmm. yeah you can change it and you know just like learning a language when you're young you can learn one when you're older you know you could make these decisions like I'm always going to be happy and you could learn to overcome that but if it's the foundation of who you are it's gonna require a lot of you know time and effort and thought and really like intentional moves i think to to actually change those things so yeah i could see how you know trying to form your entire identity around something when you're so young it seems really good and people would want to enforce that you know if you're the parent you're like yes that's a good thing let's always be happy and you're just trying to think about like, yeah, of course I want my child to be happy and not thinking about like, oh, well, how does this state of mind affect them when they need to grieve for the first time?
1: Yeah, it's pretty powerful stuff. Um, yeah. I, I'd like to take a moment to talk about my husband on uh, David Stone. Um, so he started his journey uh, really back when he was about 14 years old and uh, he was pronounced dead he had a near death experience. Um, he was, uh, uh, he had double staph pneumonia, which, um, you know, back at that time. So this was back in like 1961. Um, the doctors didn't know what to do. There were some experimental drugs. Um, but it, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty bad. They, they figured that he was going to go. Um, uh, and you know, his dad saw uh, something on the monitor. It was like a movie, you know, and, he tells the story about how this happened. Um, and so, you know, he came back, but he he had, um, you know, everything was fine, except he did have scarred lungs um, from it. Uh, and he, every once in a while, he had to cough, give a really good deep cough, because um, we have these little hairs in our lungs called cilia that help us to move um, the phlegm and everything up just naturally. It, it, we don't even have to think about it. Our body's always sort of taking care of itself. Um, and so the doctors tried to tell him that, Oh, you know, you're, you're never going to be truly healthy. You're going to have all these limits because it's all about your lungs. And so you won't be able to play sports and all these things. And, uh, my, my husband's personality. Yes. He railed against that. <laughs> it's like people telling them how things are going to be. And so he, uh, when he, he graduated um, from, uh, he got uh, a few advanced degrees and kind of stepped out of college into the, um, the human potential movement, um, which was going on there a lot, a lot of uh, coming out about how really for, I mean, there had been some, I think some work, I mean, if you could think about uh, um, like the, sort of like the new thought era and you think of Thoreau and some of when, when people are starting to be more introspective. Um, but this was a time about, you know, how can people really work on themselves um, to be the best people that they can be? Um, and so that was a lot of, uh, he took a lot of trainings and he um, traveled and he had lots of different teachers. And so that's how, you know, he put together the body memory process based upon a, a lot of that quest for, you know, what is wellness? And so when I met him back in, uh, I met him on the 4th of July, 1994, <laughs> a mutual friend uh, had kept saying to each of us, you've got to meet this person, you've got to meet. And she was right, because we met and, you know, the rest is history. Um, but when I, uh, when, when I was first with him, I, I noticed that he was, you know, doing this writing. And he said, well, a lot of my clients have said, you've got to write a book, you know, about this, because this is really powerful stuff. And uh, so he was writing his book and these big, he had these huge computer files. Um, I think we had an old Tandy. the microprocessor at the time was like a 360 or something. <laughs> I'm really dating myself, but computers used to be really slow. And so uh, during that time, uh, you know, I, I, that's when I really got exposed. First exposed to this work because i really got into his files and was trying to pull you know all of the stream of consciousness into into uh categories you know to to get it to move it closer to a book um which and it was uh published in uh uh, 2004 Uh, it was called escaping the labyrinth um and the book was sort of set up to to talk about you know this sort of labyrinth that we create for ourselves when we're very young and then we you know we uh find our way out um when we when we become aware you know of our beliefs. Um I, I'll I'll say this now that I'm not going to say and David never said that this is the only way to do self-discovery. Um, there's a lot of good work out there. Um, this is one way to do it that has been proven to be very powerful um, because it gets like some uh, one client had told him that you know while psychotherapy had uh, was like a flashlight his work was like a, like a laser beam because um, you know it got it got right back to you know things that she hadn't even remembered but when they accessed the memory through body memory um, she was like wow that's so unbelievably powerful that you know this is actually um, uh, you know what what is causing this going on in my life Um, I can talk actually about myself. I I, uh, always said to David that I was this poster child um, because I came into the world with a whole lot of baggage. Um, And I can talk for a moment about that um, and uh, tell everyone how this has been really powerful in in my own life. Um, So I was born, I guess, if you call it that, um, in in a very emergency situation, when I was only about six months along, I was only about six months cooked, Um, no third trimester at all uh, going on for me. Uh, And so I was really incredibly um, premature. Um, I had my birth mother was um, very distraught. And let's just say that she was trying to take care of things, you know, she tried to take matters into her own hands. And it was very violent. And I was sort of born um, in this and put into an incubator, you know, um, and certainly no, not welcomed into loving arms, um, you know, in the beginning of my life, which, you know, once I started doing the work and really looking at it, it made a lot of things make sense for me about how I felt, um, you know, as a child and, and growing up and a lot of things I needed to deal with. But I'll, I'll talk about one specific thing um, and I think it'll be um, especially powerful to bring up because I'm able to be here now and talking to everyone about this. Uh, not that before I did this work, I was not, I would not have been able to sit here and, and talk uh, to you uh, uh, about all of this because uh, I was just incredibly afraid of being in front of anyone and especially a group. <laughs> uh, so when I was, uh, uh, a little, I remember, um, I actually have a memory of being in the doctor's office and the doctor saying to my mother, uh, I, I asked your daughter a question, you know, when she answered and my mother said, but she didn't answer you. So I figured you needed the answer from somewhere. Um, because I, I, I was just, I didn't want to talk to anyone. And, uh, I, I absolutely, if I was in class and I needed to speak in front of the, uh, in front of that group, I was just just got so nervous I almost couldn't function um, it got better just because I was determined to not let that run me um, and I, I got to the point where I started taking my on this head on by joining Toastmasters and saying okay you know even though my you know my, my I'm shaking and I'm bright red I'm gonna stand in front of this group and I'm gonna you know, see what I can do then I did the work and what I realized is that because I spent a long time in an incubator, I was viewed a lot. Um, there wasn't a whole lot. I had tubes, you know, coming from me because um, it was, I was so very small and I, I'm sure I needed to be fed and, you know, everything through tubes. Um, and so it was really difficult to try to like maybe pick me up a lot. Um, but there was, you know, I'm sure a lot of peering in at me. Uh, and so Again, it's sometimes it's hard when people try to get their minds around this because, but the baby can't talk and they don't have language. So how does this happen? And you have to understand things happen on an energy level, you know, primarily. I mean, it's all about, you know, that things are, you know, things are connected and about things are very on an energetic level. Um, And then, you know, They just, the words uh, are there when you reach back into it, you find the equal um, language to be able to express it. And so I had the vow, they watch me to see when I'm going to die. So I am fairly certain that back in, well, that was 1961. Interestingly enough, when my husband was having his challenge at 14, I was having mine, (laughs) So it's one of the things that really made us feel so close. Um, is that 1961 for me? Uh, and you know, and here I was, uh, you know, in an incubator. And I am sure that there were people because I had been born so uh, early and I was under two pounds that she's not going to make it, right? So um, I received that in some way. I received that. And if you, if you think about it, um, they watch me to see when I'm going to die. Well, no wonder I was so nervous. <laughs> this was a, this literally became a, a life and death uh, experience for me. Every time I needed to, you know, it had, had any type of attention on me. Now, as time, you know, went by, it got better one-on-one. Uh, but then again, there was like, whenever I got in front of a group is when things would really break down. Um, but I'm happy to say that uh, I discovered that vow. I did the work and I've been in front of actually large groups um, in the my work with the federal government um, in the, the final years, I was a manager and I needed to, to speak sometimes to very large groups. and uh, and then I sort of I did it willingly uh, by uh, continuing in Toastmasters and then going on to different levels of competition. So I'll tell everyone I am I actually a firsthand experience of, uh, again, how powerful it is just to do this kind of self-discovery. Um, just think—I think everybody can think of like what is some one thing that you'd like to change. And just take baby steps. You know that's okay. Um, but I'll tell you about how the body memory process actually helps um, helps you to do this beyond just um, just kind of looking at the evidence uh, in your own life. So uh, the work is really kind of two pronged. Um, there's a self-discovery phase and then there is the the, the healing phase um, and the like the vow release in the self-discovery the way that david would do it is he would work he would work with people one on one he would sit down with them for an average of about three hours and they would start with tell me about what's going on in your life you know what kind of like what's going on now they would kind of work back to uh you know what what do you remember? What do you know about um, what was going on for your mom when she was pregnant? Uh, what, and you do you know anything about your birth? Um, a lot of people, you know, it's amazing how many people have experienced birth trauma and they're well aware of it. You know, and mom would talk about it. Like The cord was wrapped around my neck. You know, it was, it was a very long labor. People with the long labor tend to have the vows, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to die. You know, like, that's a big one. Um, uh, that shows up for people in many ways um, in its most extreme, uh, sort of a claustrophobia type of um, experience that they'll have as adults. Um, But a lot of vows coming out of of birth trauma. Um, So uh, the discussion with the the clients, of course, it's it's really about, you know, sort of talking through all of us. There's all of it. There's also um, a point where they talk about what's going on in, in, in your body with the client. Um, some people have extreme symptoms uh, going on. In fact, that's the reason why they've reached out. Um, as human beings, we tend to, you know, when nothing's really, really painful or bothering us, like we'll just plug on from day to day. Um, but when something gets our attention, like a, you know, a, a, a maybe a chronic illness, um, a chronic pain, you know, something that just won't go away, then we tend to say, um, maybe reach out to our doctor, but then there, there are people, I think more and more, um, looking for alternative approaches, um, especially where, um, my own, my own, and I'll admit this is my, my own personal view. I think doctors are great at solving acute issues, chronic things, not quite so much. Um, they might have, you know, some piece of the solution, but again, getting to chronic issues is about getting to underlying cause. Um, and so, um, when, when David would work with people, sometimes there were blazing, uh, there's blazing evidence going on in the, in the body, but sometimes, um, there wasn't any type of evidence. So then it was okay. Um, is there, but is there some place where you carry any kind of tension, right? Like, oh, well, yeah. You know, at the end of a workday, like, you know, there's a lot of kind of pain and tension in my neck and my shoulders. Um, okay, well, that can be from working in front of a computer. Um, but it might be, well, I don't work in front of a computer. And then it's like, well, you know, how's your boss taught to you? So uh, we have a body map with the, with the body memory process, and it's based upon the energy system of the body, largely. Um, David actually created this map after working with clients for um, probably at that point, about 20 or 25 years. Um, when he started noticing, you know, these patterns, um, he was very good. Again, he had uh, advanced degrees and he knew how to do research. So he was sort of doing research too. Um, and he was keeping track of a lot, a lot of things. Um, and, uh, he even had lots of recordings. Um, he had permission from his clients to anonymously and, um, uh, um, you know, um, what is the other word, anonymous, and non-attribution, right? For, for, uh, so that he could, could actually sort of see what was falling out and then over time keep um, uh, improving the work uh, based upon the data that he was getting from his clients. And so over time, you know, he created a, a body map. Um, and we now have a body map that's about a thousand vows and where they, for clients, have shown up in the body. Um, And this is one thing that people can use when they do the work uh, to help them sort of zero in on, on what's going on. And so when he would work with clients um, you know, okay, where the, that pain intention was, was largely, you know, kind of indicated, okay, there must be something here. And then they talk it through. So one example um, of the, okay, this is about uh, my boss yelling at me is a vow that says, you can't talk to me that way. Um, And I think a lot of kids end up with that one. Uh, So, you know, they don't like the way mom and dad are talking. And um, and, and a lot of times it's not really about how they're talking as as a parent that yells, right? A parent that rages, a parent that yells, very traumatic, um, lots of sensitive children. And I think children are just naturally sensitive, as we've talked about earlier. And so it's easy really to kind of lodge those in. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of people have... Um, neck, you know, neck, is- back issues, neck issues. Um, low back is another one that uh, a lot of people have uh, low back pain, and um, that's about you know I've got to do it myself. Um, if I'm going to do it, if I'm going, if it's going to be done right, I got to do it myself. You know, a lot of that, you know, kind of carrying carrying that load um, yourself. Uh, and so the um, uh, again, I was talking about how David would do the work. David uh, is not here any longer. And so what I've been doing um, to really make this more available uh, is just taking that body map, turning it into a, um, a way that's sort of interactive um, using hyperlinks uh, in a, like a PDF. I eventually want to get, that, get it into an app form. I think it would be very, very powerful that way. Um, and uh, I don't, again, I don't have the luxury um, of David who was so incredibly intuitive himself. You know, he, he really, really was helpful to have him in the room. Um, he, I think he was one of the really the functions of helping people to get things so quickly. Uh, but it can still be done without uh, without him. Um, and, and so uh, the work is now largely this discovery process um, is about a video that kind of walks you through the questions um, that David would ask during an interview. Um, uh, just questions that you might not know the answer to, but that you can ask mom uh, if mom is available or other family members um, about um, those earliest years and and what happened. Um, And then again, the map is very instrumental to that discovery because you might have sort of an idea of what's going on, but when you can go to um, to look through those vows and, you know, things will resonate, like things would just jump out at you like, Oh, wow, I know that's one of mine. And then it's sort of an, it's not a linear process, right? It's kind of iterative, like, okay, this is here. And now I gotta go back and take a look. Oh, yeah, I remember that now, when I was four, you know, whatever, and then you can go and discover more and more. It's a very personal experience. And um, it's set up now that, um, you know, people can do this um, either entirely or their own, or they can do it with, uh, with coaching um, for me. And that's the way that I set it up, set up uh, on the website. The, um, the other side, the other prong um, is, of course, the homework. Uh, it's about, okay, uh, this is the good. So the bad news is you made it up. Uh, the good news is you made it up. <laughs> so it's like, okay, you've discovered you made it up. But those, the um, creative aspects of ourselves did not go away uh, when we turned you know, seven. Um, we can still sort of make up what we want. But the point that David always made is that it is you really kind of need to empty the cup. He calls it emptying the cup. Um, and I think he uh, he that's a reference to um, the tale of the The student and the master, and student says, "You know, master, please teach me everything you know." And the master is pouring him a cup of tea, and it overflows. And, "Oh, master, my cup is, you know, flowing over." Yes, well, so is your mind. I can't teach you anything. Uh, And so, you know, there needs to be a vacuum, right? So if you keep trying to put in, um, uh, like, say, affirmations, right? A lot of times, people try to make changes by. Okay. You know, I am a powerful woman. Um, and you know, I can say that all day long, but if I have these vows that are in body memory that say, you know, I'm a failure, I, I can't do anything right. Um, and there's a whole lot of brain chatter also as well about all these reasons why I'm not, um, it, it's not, it's not going to be very effective. Uh, and in, in, again, it's going to be that, you know, if you pour fresh water into, uh, into a bottle, like a a soapy, I I do this a lot of times when I'm trying to rinse out a bottle, right? Just keep pouring that fresh water in and eventually all that soap will come up and come out and eventually have the fresh water. I think that you can keep putting things in and, but it's going to be a lengthy process and it's not going to be uh, really efficient as just discovering what's there and being able to release that and then put, and then sort of like, I'm a clean slate now. I'm not literally. I mean, I, I don't think we can ever totally be a clean slate. And it, I think this self discovery really goes on our entire lives. But um, again, it's kind of those major things that are, are causing those issues in our lives. If we can really zero in on those, we have a chance to really make an incredible difference. And I have um, lots of case studies of people who have done that and made incredible. Uh, changes in their lives by doing this kind of work. So emptying the cup is uh, really on three levels. It's body, mind, and spirit. So emptying on the body, mind is what David called disavowals. So you have a vow, you do a disavowal. So if I have a vow, uh, they they watch me to see when I'm going to die. I disavow, they watch me to see when I'm going to die. And I say it in a, um, you know, I have a lot, I put that emotion behind it, right? Because emotions are really key. A lot of people starting to discover more and more about the power of emotions and about kind of like being able to be in control of them to really be in control of your life. Um, And so I had the emotion that was there that put it in, in place in the first place. And so now, you know, I disavow, I don't need this any longer, right? Maybe it served me when I was a child, when I was trying to figure out the world, but it's not serving me as an adult. Um, And that's for 90 days. And that's because of the, how cells renew themselves. Um, That's what, um, if you look up how long it takes to form a new habit, you know, it's all like that, that 90 day period. And it's not, it's not difficult. I mean, it's, it's, it's twice a day, um, three times a day, if you would if you can do it, but really just twice a day, it'll happen. You know, I, and it takes what a few seconds. If you end up with a list, take the, the a few minutes to run through that whole list twice a day for 90 days. There's, there's the physical part. The spiritual is forgiveness. Um, a lot of work done on the power of forgiveness. And, um, you know, this is, this is um, there's a whole list in, in our materials of suggestions of who to forgive, and it's you know whoever is involved and in whatever those um, experiences were around creating those vows, right? So the birth team, um, there can be some things that are said. Uh, it's just amazing. Like there's nothing special about this one. Meaning there's no there is no problem. Um, this was one thing that the one client that had this. There's nothing special about me. And of course it's out of context, right? It's, it's actually, um, there was a certain context in which it was said with no ill will, but the child uh, can get that in, in their, in their being. And then it kind of plays out in their, in their life as there's nothing special about me. And, and it can have an, an impact on their life that is just, you know, amazingly that has nothing, it has nothing to do with what, when it was said, you know, in the first place. So, um, you know, forgiveness is okay. Maybe there was some misunderstandings, and this is why all this happened. And really powerful, really powerful. Um, David used to explain forgiveness as uh, he would have two people come up to the front of the room, and he would talk in front of large groups, and he would have them, to so these two people, kind of push against each other, uh, and so say, "I'm in," you know, "I'm just." Ha- I'm, not really speaking to my mom because we had a breakdown and we're both being stubborn. We're kind of like pushing against each other. And he would tell one of them, okay, now just stop pushing. And the other would, you know, of course <laughs> keep moving. Almost they don't knock, uh, kind of knock them back. because, But they were essentially moving toward the other one. If you just stop pushing, the other one kind of moves toward. And people have found that they can do the forgiveness work and the phone rings and, you know, like, Say in that example where I'm not talking to mom, I'm forgiving mom and uh, mom calls, you know, I mean, these amazing stories from clients about how they start doing this work and, and, you know, things will happen um, that will really show that, that healing that's going on. The third area is the mental emptying the mental cup. And we talked a little bit earlier about affirmations and as the example of, you know, I am a powerful woman. I mean, this is when I have all those reasons why I'm not, um, the affirmation process is an opportunity to really get this down on paper. There's a some, writing is a very powerful thing, getting something, uh, getting things down. Um, I, I know that for for myself, I can write lists and then forget them all the time. Like I'll write a shopping list and then forget it. But because I wrote it down, I remember all of it anyway. I'm like, I know it you know, anyway. Um, and so, uh, you know, I can write the uh, affirmation on the left side of the paper and all the reasons why my brain thinks I'm not. And that's sort of a process that is done uh, as until you feel complete with it. You know, when you like the brain said everything it wants to say and you're like, yeah, OK, thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, this is where we're going now. <laughs> um, and then uh, the forgiveness process is actually seven days. I didn't mention that it's um, uh, it's a it's a it's a process that you do for seven days um, for for each um, you know person that you're forgiving. So that's essentially the body memory process. Um, I I uh, you'll if you look at my website, you see I talk about it as self empowerment, self healing, uh, and. Um, uh, self-empowerment so self-discovery self-healing and self-empowerment the self-empowerment part um, part of that is that healing process but it's also this new awareness that you will have uh, about uh, just like so who you are uh, the power of words and language so you have an opportunity when you've done this work to again have that pretty much a clean slate as far as Okay, now what do I want to create now in my life? If you've had money issues, because say I have a vow, you know, money is evil, or uh, you know, so I'm always finding that I'm having struggles financially. I have the opportunity now to think about money differently as a flow, as energy. Um, money flows easily to me. Um, I can start having these thoughts, and I can say things every day. Um, lots of material out there about how to do that. Um, that will will have me being creative here of what I want in my life um, from this point forward. Um, There's also ripple effects. So for people working on themselves, it's not just about making your life uh, better. It's about making the world a better place. You know, if you, if you feel like you like, how can I contribute? You know, it's like really truly work on yourself because it makes you a more conscious parent, you know. It's, if you are a parent, um, you're never going to interact with your child the same way once you know this work. Um, uh, as a real quick example, um, I um, have a daughter um, who's nine years old now. Um, very uh, we. She's been um, developing her palate um, ever since, like her her daddy was around. Um, he uh, was quite the uh, quite the chef. He actually had been trained at one point with Fordham Blue when it had a school in D.C. He was sort of a Renaissance man, you know, with all the work that he did. He he liked to take to to do new things, and so um, his family got to benefit from this talent. And uh, my daughter was liking food that most like little girls didn't really like, <laughs> so gourmet food, and um, uh, so, so sometimes. Um, though uh, recently, you know, she might say she likes something and then she's like, no, I don't like it any longer. And uh, I'm like, right. That doesn't make sense. Like you, I would think that you would have liked that And this one particular day. It wasn't something I was going to eat. I think it was a little too high calorie. And I was like, okay. And I threw it in the garbage and I said, gee, I wish that, you know, you would just let me know before I spend all this money on something. And then like all of a sudden I just sort of stopped and heard myself (laughs) When you, when you develop this awareness, you all of a sudden in the moment, you can say, Oh, wow, there's about, <laughs> there's about just getting ready to form, you know, in my daughter. Um, and I stopped, I hugged her, I apologized to her. And I said, you know what, your opinions are more important than money, right? So didn't like that. That's good. I want you to always tell me what you don't like. And, you know, we'll just, you know, we'll deal with it. Um, so again, you know, I'm, I'm far from perfect, um, so even though in this work I slip up, um, but I think that this awareness allows me to. I think more often than not, uh, I keep I keep working on it. But then you know, just like to be able to get it in the moment is the most powerful thing. Um, but then if you kind of like reflecting at the end of the day and like, oh yeah, um, what I said today might not have worked well. You can still do damage control. <laughs> Talk to your child the next day or say. Yeah. Let's, let's talk this out. Um, Even I've been doing work with the foster community. Um, I've been teaching foster parents to do this work with children um, to actually help to, you know, because, because they are so vulnerable because of the trauma, uh, so vulnerable to forming vows. And um, they have found that um, these highly emotional events, they, they, they're not necessarily talking about vows in the way I am, but they do make this scientists have scientific proof that um, these kids are set up for health issues and emotional issues and addiction a lot of things in the future um, because there's so much of this on um, un, unprocessed um, trauma which is about the energy behind it and there's if people have read the emotion code there's there's work going on to to teach people to kind of release the from the energy from the trauma, but the beliefs is another piece that really it's important to have that um, done. So um, again, working with kids. And I, I think that when people work on themselves, it really makes the world a better place. I mean, there's um, in a sort of like a, even a community level. Um, so you can sort of let other people know, Um, you can, you're, you're not contributing, like you're going to become healthier when you do this work. I mean, truly um, more conscious about everything about your life, including your choices and the, um, the chemicals in your house and, you know, all kinds of things that will make you more aware. And so you'll become a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem that then our institutions need to need to deal with. So again, it just, it really starts with,
0: with you. Yeah. And this whole thing kind of reminds me, you know, from the moment you said labyrinth earlier about his first book, it just reminds me of, you know, the old labyrinth fable where they're like, yeah, he used this giant ball of string to kind of like lead himself out of the labyrinth. And in a way this process kind of sounds like you know, we found ourselves so deep in the labyrinth that we now have to backtrack through some of our own issues and be like, what was I doing at this point? And you look back and you're like, oh, wow, I guess that did some damage. And then, you know, just keep going further until you find yourself, you know, out of the labyrinth and you're like, okay, I guess I have addressed some of my issues.
1: Yes, exactly. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, Do you find a lot of people kind of have a, a core value or a vow in like one of the the primal fears where they're like oh it's you know the darkness because I never knew what the future was going to look like or it's claustrophobia because I you know like you said I need to get out of here or you know being watched even like that's that's a pretty big fear for a lot of people where it's like you know I feel like I have all these eyes on me all the time
1: yes absolutely Um, fears are absolutely grounded in in a lot of like what happened in childhood. Um, And uh, a lot of times I think the kid that that memory is suppressed because it it might be so traumatic. Um, And so, you know, this is why, you know, people who might have particularly bad fears, you know, try to go with the psychotherapy or a psychiatrist and try to get at it that way. The um, and that's okay. But and, I, and because the body is, as Dr. Pert says, subconscious mind in all essence, because it is that messenger, um, then going through body memory is really that laser beam, you know, opposed to getting to, yeah. What was that that happened?
0: Yeah. And it's very much, you know, different tools for different people in different things. You know, sometimes you're handed a hammer when all you need is a scalpel. It's like, yeah, you could probably achieve the same result, but you're going to do it a whole lot faster if you have the right tool for the job. And so I could see how, you know, applying this aspect, you know, of body memory process, trying to figure out the root of some of your issues, like could definitely be a lot faster than being like, Hey, how do I stop being afraid of the dark in general? You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very much like going, you know, how we talked earlier, you can go to your primary care doctor. They're going to be able to figure out generally, you know, your base problem. And then their most common response is to find someone who deals with that problem and throw you in that direction. Cause they're <laughs> like, I can't deal with that problem. Like, that's not my, that's not my gig at all.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And um, it, it's, it's interesting cause, cause people will, Go off, and they'll do work on themselves, and the problem will go away. And how many times doctors will say, We must have misdiagnosed it in the first place? Right. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's this feels like a good way to kind of, you know, look inward, have some introspection without having to, you know, as you said, go and sit through countless sessions of psychotherapy or you know, try and have someone explain yourself to yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, you hit the nail on the head there. You know, you, you know yourself better than anyone else possibly could. Um, yeah. And um, that's why I think that whole self discovery, you know, self healing, self empowerment is, is so important. And we live in a sort of a DIY age, right? <laughs> so, so why not? All right. Um, with the right tools. Um, I think that anybody could do this. Yeah.
0: And, you know, as you described the map that you use to kind of like, hey, and it would, it does sound like it would be a great app to be like, oh, click on your pain point, see what you could address. Because even if, you know, you're kind of shooting in the dark for yourself, if you have this map and you have all these things that pop up every time you choose something, you're like, oh, is this a problem I have? Even if you're, you know, just going through the map absolutely blindly, just because like you might still run into some deep probing questions that you're like, maybe I need to think about this more with myself because I never thought about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. Yes. Um, that's why you never know, you know, where, where it's going to go. It's, it's an adventure um, and uh, all, all good, right? All, all, all self-discovery, yeah, which is always a good thing.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'd love to, you know, give you a minute to just say where people can find you or where they could find the books or where they could find these resources um, if they choose to dig into this.
1: Sure. So bodymemoryprocess.com. So all together, bodymemoryprocess.com. And you will find... Um, at the top of my page I have a slider. um, So you like one uh, talks about the free ebook. Uh, So I believe it's about 34 pages. If you want to learn more, Um, there is um, another one that talks about the course. Um, So then you can go to a page and learn more about the course. Um, Again, lots of information about uh, on on the site uh, about this work. Um, And that's also where you can um, uh, sign up for the coaching. Uh, with me. So there there is a, a link that will send you to a page from my page to um heal.me, uh, which is a, a pra- sort of a practitioner, uh, I think it's a national practitioner directory. Um, so it's heal.me slash BMP. Um, but again, my website will will lead you there where you can either choose to purchase the course or purchase the course and coaching, you know, from me. Um, and then I also have a, a free 20 minute consultation too. So on Heal.me, you can sign up for that. Awesome.
0: Thank you very much for being on the show. This has been very informative, and I've appreciated it.
1: Thank you. I've really enjoyed it as well.
0: I hope you've also enjoyed another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast, listener. Consider playing this show for your dogs or cats when you're not home. I've been told it's very mellow. Please take a brief moment to rate the show 5 stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. It helps the show grow in ways that you can't imagine. And if you haven't already, please tell someone you know to listen to this show. Word of mouth is the most powerful form of promotion. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. To reach out to me, email dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. Or send a message to any of the show pages, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. August official top countries so far, which have not changed places since last week. Number one, the United States, with top states California and Illinois. Number two, the United Kingdom. Number three, Australia, still led by Victoria. Brazil, hanging in there at number 4 against hefty competitor, number 5 Canada, still firmly led by Alberta. That's all for now, I'll see you all Thursday for the next episode, whatever it might be. Bye bye